Welcome to the Creative Pen Podcast. I'm Joanna Penn, thriller author and creative entrepreneur, bringing you interviews, inspiration and information on writing, publishing options and marketing ideas for your book. You can find the episode show notes, your free author blueprint and lots more information at thecreativepen.com and that's pen with a double n. And here's the show. Hello creatives, I'm Joanna Penn and this is episode number 628 of the podcast and it is Saturday the 18th of June 2022 as I record this. On today's show I'm talking to Katie Cross about selling books direct through Shopify and turning the current indie business model on its head. Basically, instead of sending our readers and marketing efforts toward Amazon and the other third-party stores first... We focus on encouraging readers to buy from us directly and use our email lists in a more active way. Distribute everywhere else later, of course, but focus first on the direct sales where you get a larger chunk of the money much, much faster. So on the same day or within a few days, depending on which method you're using. And this is the same principle as the Kickstarter model, which we've been talking about, where essentially you take the cut first and then distribute to the other stores later. And this is currently what I'm building. I've been selling direct since 2008 digitally, but I've never done drop shipping print on demand, which we're talking about today. Um, but what I have always done is that I've had direct sales as an option, but I've never pushed it as my first method. I've always kind of offered everything all at once. So this is this is definitely a, a, a change and I'm quite excited about it. I am intending to keep how to write a novel, which is, uh, I'll talk about that in a bit, but how to write a novel will be exclusively from my store for a month before I put it out to all the other stores um, later. So that will be interesting. More to come from me once I get it figured out, but you can hear lots of thoughts in discussion with Katie, who's already doing this business model. You can check out her store at katiecrossbooks.com. And also thanks to Morgana Best, who has helped me with questions about this too. And you can check out her store at morganabest.com. So the interview with Katie is coming up soon. So in publishing news, last week I shared details about Spotify's Investor Day and how they had a session on pivoting toward audiobooks, well not pivoting, adding audiobooks. Well, things have got even more interesting in the last week. So first of all, the acquisition of Findaway has gone through. Uh, There was a notification that that has gone through. And just to recap, Spotify said of the acquisition, we plan to build on Findaway's expertise and infrastructure to deliver tools and resources that will lower the barriers to entry and enable creators to find an audience, expanding the audiobooks market overall, just as we did with podcasting. To achieve that scale, we'll amplify the growth of Findaway's platform offering, currently called Findaway Voices. This platform connects independent authors and publishers with independent voice actors and manages the production and distribution of their audiobooks. This creates an exciting new channel of scaled creation with the potential to quickly grow the audiobooks market. So that's what they said in the Investor Day. So obviously the purchase of... Um, Findaway and Findaway Voices, they're going to be expanding that into their creator platform. I also mentioned that Val Kilmer's voice in Maverick was generated by AI. And the company that did it, Sonantic, 
This week, Spotify announced they were buying that company. Uh, So Spotify have bought this AI voice company. And they said in the news uh, release on the Spotify website, as a leader in all things audio, Spotify is always searching for new ways to create unique experiences that our users will love. Today, we're excited to share our intention to acquire Sonantic, a a dynamic AI voice platform that creates compelling, nuanced and stunningly realistic voices from text. Listeners come to Spotify for all the best audio content in the world, and we believe that Sonantic's technology will allow us to create high-quality experiences for our users by building on our existing technical capabilities. So I'm very interested to see how this is going to play out, but I've pretty much been, as I've said a number of times, I've been watching this AI voice space for four or five years now, and it really feels like this is starting to go mainstream. And we've talked about this with Google and I'll have the Google, um, Ryan from Google on to talk about AI narration again later uh, in the summer. But it's it's just very interesting to me how something that I thought, again, I always think things will come quicker than they do, but eventually they tend to come. <laughs> and this is definitely happening, AI for voice for sure. So interesting times. I'm very interested to see what Spotify is going to bring. In useful stuff, I wanted to give a shout out to the Indie Author Podcast and the Indie spelled I-N-D-Y, the Indie Author Podcast. Matty Dalrymple talks to Deanna Hart, co-author with Mark Leslie Lefebvre of Accounting for Authors. Financial analysis, budgeting, costs and margin made simple. And on the podcast episode, they talk about return on investment for authors. She talks about, uh, this is Deanna, talks about the importance of not glossing over the costs of doing business as an indie, talking about uh, allocating overhead costs to your titles, risk tolerance and risk capacity, valuing your time, which so many people struggle with, and looking for opportunities to free up your time for value added work and the best accounting tools for authors. And I'll also give a shout out to Zero, which is what I use for my accounting, X-E-R-O. Just fantastic. I moved over from QuickBooks a couple of years ago and I really love Zero. Yeah, brilliant. So check out that podcast episode and also the book, Accounting for Authors. And yes, there are accounting standards that differ per jurisdiction, but the principles of all of this is is the same. So highly recommend that if you haven't uh, got to grips with your accounting. So in my personal update, I have been recovering this week from the full day workshop last weekend on the creator economy with Orna Ross. And it went really well. The venue is great. And uh, that was the Hilton Doubletree in Bath here in the UK. It went yeah, it went really well and it was lovely to meet a whole load of creatives in person and also to share a lot of the new material and thoughts that we've both been thinking about in this area. So it was kind of a way to set a deadline on preparing the material and then sharing it and seeing how it landed with the audience. And generally, you know, it got a pretty high rating from our uh, participants. So yeah, it went it went well. And I'll be turning this, my material, into a course in the next month to six weeks after I've finished my Shopify store. Uh, But lots going on in this, uh, lots going on in my head. I've got a lot of things that I want to put into action and I'm just getting to grips with it myself. So I'm going to share more once I've actually done some things because, you know, it's important to think about how we want to change our business model, but I need to actually change it before I talk more about this. 
So yes, it went really well, but I was pretty broken for the next couple of days afterwards. I mean, I always think I can manage and on the day I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, I feel okay. And then my introvert self implodes. Uh, It's like my nervous system is overloaded and overstimulated. And uh, as I do more in-person events, which I want to, I need to manage my energy a lot better as usual. I mean, it was pretty intense for me. I did, you know, I presented for nearly four hours on various things in between honor sessions. And uh, so it's, you know, pretty intense to do that. And mostly I speak at other people's events, so I'm not the organiser. And actually organising adds a lot of extra work, obviously. And my next speaking event is Mark Dawson's SBS Live next week. So as this goes out, um, it will be next week and I'm doing just an hour on stage. So even though there are more people, I think about 700 people, it's the biggest indie author conference in Europe. It should be less tiring. (laughs) It's not my event. I just have to turn up and do my thing. (laughs) So if you're coming and you see me, please do say hi. Uh, If if I'm not visible, it's because I've gone in, gone to introvert somewhere. (laughs) But if I'm visible, I'm, I'm, I love to meet people. So say hi and tell me you're a listener. And tell me if you're a patron too, so I can thank you. On writing, I got my edits back on how to write a novel. So that is now finished and with my interior designer. um, And I need to start narrating the audiobook, building the download page. I've got some new tutorials. I'm building a Scrivener one and a pseudo write one. And uh, I'm doing a workbook and lots of things for finishing energy. So I've talked about this before, but just, you know, there's starting energy, which is when you get loads of ideas and you're like, oh, I love this. It's brilliant. And then there's pushing through energy, which is when you hit the difficult part of a book, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, and you're bored with it or you're over it or it's difficult or you feel blocked or all those things you need pushing through energy to get to the end and then usually there's a sort of spurt of of um, getting it done and then finishing energy is all the things you need to do to get it out in the world the publishing the marketing and sometimes you just feel like you're over it you just you're like okay it's done (laughs) but you need the finishing energy to get it into readers hands and that's sort of the cycle I'm moving into at the moment Although I did spend some time yesterday back on a short story. And there's a short story I've got. Well, it's about 6,000 words, so I need to cut it down a lot uh, for, for it to be a short story in my head. But uh, I'm, I am working on a short story based on... Well, I'm not going to tell you. I, I'm quite I'm quite excited about it. Right, so thanks for all your emails and tweets and comments over the last few weeks. Chioma at The Fearless Storyteller emailed about the interview with Eric on libraries. She put the tips into action and created sell sheets for two of her books. And then she emailed, she actually emailed libraries, she took action and she said in her email, Joanna, I nearly passed out when I woke up on Wednesday morning to an email response from a library in Australia saying they'd bought a copy of each of both of my books via Overdrive absolutely brilliant i love to hear that that she chioma put this into action and immediately uh, got a response so that's so cool to hear about ingrid kv hardy said really enjoyed listening to the brian cohen episode and i sympathize with all the stuff that has to be done with kickstarters going to start my third soon and uh, ingrid sent a wonderful picture of her creative cave with lots of art and things on the walls and it just looked definitely looked super creative from YouTube, Joy Velikarodny, um, sorry if I'm, I got that name wrong, Joy. Joy says, thanks so much. I've been avidly listening to your thoughts on Kickstarter. As a result, I successfully ran a Kickstarter to translate two of my children's books into Ukrainian. So thank you for the motivation and the information. Again, 
Brilliant. Taking action. I do love I do love to hear this. So good. It's partly what keeps me doing this show because I still feel like I can make a difference. And finally, Rick Williams left a comment on the on the blog, on the show notes, saying, I love that you have the show notes on the website. For podcasts of high personal interest, I typically listen to them on my iPhone while going through the script simultaneously on my iPad and taking hard copy notes and as needed, going to Amazon or Google. Oh, I love to hear that too, Rick. And yeah, just for everyone listening, there are there is a transcript, notes, links, always on the creativepen.com. You can get to all the links from a slash forward slash podcast or on the blog the most recent ones so yeah I really appreciate that you find that useful and our sponsors are partly help with the time and the cost of doing such extensive uh, transcript and notes and remember you can tweet me at the creative pen send me pictures of where you're listening email me joanna at the creative or leave a comment on the blog or the youtube channel I love to hear from you it makes this more of a conversation so today's episode is sponsored by Pro Writing Aid, which I use multiple times in my editing process. And of course, however you want to sell your books, Kickstarter or direct sales or through one of the third party stores, you still need a finished book. <laughs> so editing is always important. So I use Pro Writing Aid once after my full draft is finished. This is an extensive use um, and I go through the whole manuscript and make the changes before I print it for hand edits. Then again, before I send it to my editor after I've made the changes. And again, if it's a short story or something, I'll use it again as more like proofreading before publishing as a final check. It is an absolute must use tool in my writing process. I kind of can't believe we live without it. It's a bit like Scrivener. It's a bit like Vellum. The tools that we have now as authors and writers are just incredible. So why use software to help you? Why don't you just learn all the grammar rules and apply them yourself? Well, we all use tools to improve our process and sometimes we're blind to our own writing issues. Well, look, to be honest, we're always blind to our own writing issues. It helps to have another pair of eyes, even if the eyes are software. So Pro Writing Aid knows all the rules and helps you apply them. And of course, you can choose not to make the changes as you like. Sometimes it does uh, get it wrong, uh, but most of the time it's really useful. It helps with making your writing more active, find repeated words, find words you could improve on, like this is a common usage. Here's some words you might like to use instead. Sentence structure, grammar and punctuation issues, as well as things like typos, spacing problems, a punctuation, you know, like you've done two um, full stops or periods, whatever. And uh, so it helps with finding all those things that your eyes just don't see. It integrates with all the usual word processing tools. And importantly, for many of us, it integrates with Scrivener, which is how I use it for that first draft. I open Pro Writing Aid on my um, laptop, then I open the Scrivener project within Pro Writing Aid and I work through each chapter. I learn every time and it has a load of reports to help improve your writing in multiple ways. So won't an editor do all this for you? Yes, of course, they can. But I'd rather pay my editor to fix the things that software can't. As brilliant as ProWritingAid is, it can't read the manuscript as a whole and comment on bigger issues like character development or inconsistencies or plot holes. So I use ProWritingAid as like an ex- essential editing tool before sending to my human editor. You can check out the free edition or get 25% off the premium edition by using my link prowritingaid.com forward slash Joanna. Prowritingaid.com forward slash Joanna, J-O-A-N-N-A. 
So this type of corporate sponsorship pays for the hosting, transcription and editing. But my time is sponsored by my wonderful patrons and especially the Futurist episodes, more coming soon. Thanks to new and returning patrons in the last few weeks, I absolutely appreciate your support, especially in these turbulent financial times. Welcome to new patrons, Marie V. Nadal, Joanne Van Raphorst, Gregory Amato, Cat, and Hell's Bells and Mast Cells, which is a, a great name. Thanks to everyone who's been supporting the show on Patreon for years and months. You're brilliant. You can support the show with a few dollars or whatever your currency is, and you'll get the extra monthly Q&A audio, which I absolutely need to record this week. <laughs> it's been a busy time. Uh, so yes, you get that extra monthly Q&A audio and access to the backlist episodes, where I pretty much answered every single possible question. And I, of course, I answer your questions. No silly questions within the Patreon. Patreon. <laughs> So you can support the show at patreon.com, p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash the creative pen. Right, let's get into the interview. Katie Cross is the author of over 30 books across fantasy, chiclet and contemporary romance. And today we're talking about selling books on Shopify. So welcome, Katie. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited about this conversation. Oh, me too. And this is definitely, I I will have explained in the introduction that this is something I'm focusing on. But let's start with a high level question. Why did you decide to start focusing on selling direct as a priority rather than an, an afterthought? I think at first the desire for a little more control over my career is is what kind of drove me into the arms of direct sales. So I, I got really frustrated with looking at Amazon and trying to do everything I could. I had over 20 books and I was only making a couple thousand a month. And I just wanted to at, at, like approach my business as more of an entrepreneur than just a creative. And I didn't know how to do that until I could actually control more of the variables behind the scenes, like the distribution, my own website layout, the product pages, that kind of stuff. I wanted to get away from an Amazon product page that not only featured my product, but like a bajillion others. And I wanted people to land on a really clean product page that I could test and make better. And so that kind of desire for control and the ability to help my readers have a better experience is what initially led me to throwing out my own website and doing the direct sales approach. Mm. And I guess for me, because I've been selling direct since like 2008, but I've only done ebooks, audio courses, all the digital stuff, but you also do print. So I wondered also on, on this, because I've always felt like, oh my goodness, print's just way too complicated and I don't want to do that. So how did you get over that? Oh, you know what? It was it, the print is so easy. So I think when I get questions, it's almost always about paperbacks and it's so easy. It's not even funny. So Shopify has third party apps that you can like download and link to and then use on your Shopify store. And Lulu Express has a print on demand app. So I just upload my books to Lulu Express the same sort of way I would to KDP or Ingram Spark. And then anyone that orders like the book, then the order goes to Lulu Express and it just prints and ships from Lulu Express the same way. So I knew I wanted to do all versions of all my books on my website. So I was immediately like, well, I need to get paperback going and just did some research and talked to other people that were kind of doing this with me and heard about Lulu and I just set it up and it was just minutes to get getting my first paperback on the website. 
So it's way simpler than it looks. And I think there's a little bit of mindset work in that. I think we are overwhelmed by things, especially new things. And we start telling ourselves these ideas like, oh, that's going to be too hard or I have to do it this way. Direct sales has taught me that there's probably a third party app for everything that I want to (laughs) do. And I can just like search for it and plug it in and it makes it super simple. Yeah, well, let's just stay on print for a minute because this is, I think, when I was listening to you on Six Figure Author podcast, that's when the penny dropped for me and I felt so stupid. I was like, seriously, how did I not know this? (laughs) Oh, same. I've had so many of those moments. (laughs) Yeah, and so I was like, oh my goodness. So then, of course, I went to Lulu and they don't do the five by eight size, which is what I use for most of my books. But I found someone else uh, called Book Vault. So bookvault.app and they do the five by eight. So I'm using a combination of both. So I thought I'd mention that in case maybe other people listening do the five by eight. Did you have to change anything for Lulu? So I just contacted my graphic designer and said, hey, when we do paperback, can you just do a five by eight and a six by nine version across the board? And she's like, yeah, no problem. So for the novels that I published to both Ingram Spark and my website and KDP for paperback, I have those both in 5x8 and 6x9. And I just keep it all with Lulu Express to keep it simple. But I love the 5x8. I think that's a better size. So I would consider going to like another printer that does that too. I think that's a great idea. Mm, well, I'm just testing it at the moment. So as yeah, as a customer, if I buy one that's with Lulu and one that's with BookVault, you know, does that affect the shipping? And so I'm doing all this testing and uh, trying to figure it out. But of course, I have so many, so many backlist books. I just uh, the thought of changing it all. So I wanted to mention that for people listening. OK, so just well, let's just talk about the quality of the print, too. So if people were used to KDP print or Ingram Spark, anything on Lulu that you wanted to mention? No. So I mail books to myself all the time, whether I have a reader that writes in and they want it signed, then I just have them mail it to my PO box and I sign it and sign it and send it back. Or if I'm just ordering books for myself, I can't tell any difference. In fact, I think the cover quality might be a little bit better on Lulu Express than I've seen on KDP. Because there have been a lot of times where I order books on KDP and I'm like, this is supposed to be red. It looks pink. And I'll contact them and they'll be like, well, that's within specifications. We're not going to do anything about it. So I have like a hundred pink books that I can't do anything with. Uh, So, but I I haven't done big orders over like 50 or a hundred books from Lulu. I haven't done big orders like that in a while. And I've done those big orders on Amazon before. And those bigger orders seem to have like just more issues with the, the covers. Like they just never looked as vibrant. But I haven't had any of those issues with Lulu on smaller orders, and the interior looks great. I've never had a single problem. There was one time a customer wrote in and said, I ordered one of your books, and I I got one that's written in, like, Indian, and it's definitely (laughs) not yours. Like, it was this, like, totally, like, wrong book. And I just contacted Lulu for my reader, and within 12 hours, they had sent the appropriate book and I think also gave a refund, so they ended up getting a free book out of it. Yeah. And just to say that happens with any of the print on demand services. I mean, just sometimes there'll be some random page or it'll be upside down or I mean, that this does happen very occasionally on any service. So, yeah, that's definitely not just Lulu. I also wanted to ask about the shipping and the international side, because many people, if they order books from Amazon, will be on Prime. So they get free shipping. And I wondered what you what your thoughts were on the shipping side and how how that works, especially internationally. Yeah. So on Shopify, when you upload a paperback, there's going to be an area where you specify if it's a physical product. And if you don't click that, then it's obviously just assumed it's digital. But once you click that, you start 
there's an area for specifications like country of origin and weight. And then your weight is what calculates your shipping. So I believe there's a place in the settings on Shopify that you can say not to charge shipping, but then you have to pay for it. But I I think that might have changed. It was a while ago that I could futz around with the shipping a bit more. But now I just have it set in the settings of Shopify on like a pretty standard, like cheapest rate shipping, and then they get charged based on weight. So for example, my mom is like a really big crafty, like craft person. And she is able to do this. She has a sewing machine that does really cool embroidery. So I opened up a product on Shopify for my readers to be able to buy shirts that have their names written on them, like with dragons that my mom then embroidered. So we just put the weight on the shipping. And I had a, I have a bunch of international readers and some people from, I believe, Wales and Australia were ordering these shirts. And when I looked at the shipping, it was like $50 shipping just because it's so expensive to ship from the U.S. to anywhere right now. And so Shopify had automatically calculated those charges and charged it to the people that were ordering. So I wasn't out like 50 bucks when we went to ship this shirt to Australia. That does the same thing for books. Books are like a pound at most, probably closer to like half a pound or eight ounces. I I can't remember. I've weighed them before. You can just put that into Shopify. It calculates the shipping and it pulls from the customer and not from you. And I'd also say that this Book Vault company is a sort of brand for a UK printing that does the UK printing for Lulu. So yeah, I found that out when I went to them and I've ordered various books and the ones from Lulu also come from this same plant. So hopefully that's the same for Australia and the same with Ingram Spark. They have different printing uh, plants, different places. So, I mean, hopefully the shipping will also depend on that version. Yeah, especially if they have like printing like factories or plants or whatever they are within that country, then they seem to ship faster. I think, I don't quote me on this for sure, but I'm pretty sure Lulu, like you said, has a place in the UK because I ordered a book for a reader in the UK and it shipped. Like I got the notification that it shipped like the next day Mm. and got it like two days later. So I was like, that has to be like in the UK for that to happen. So I, I believe that there are places local to different countries that Lulu has printers. Yeah. And then have customers said anything about the print costs because they can get it for free on Amazon Prime? You know, I have spent a lot of time and a lot of energy training my readers not to buy me from Amazon, like buy from me from Amazon. So almost no one even mentions Amazon to me. So no one has complained about it. That doesn't mean that's not an issue. They may just not be saying it, right? So they might not buy from me, but I still have paperback sales on Amazon because they want that free shipping. It's just never been something that's come up in conversation between me and my readers. Mm, No, that's great. Okay, let's just talk about the digital. So if people are going to sell eBooks and audiobooks on Shopify, how do they get delivered? Oh, book funnel. It's so... (laughs) Funnel is amazing. It delivers ebooks and audiobooks, and it has so many amazing integrations set up to kind of help make that easy. They have something that's called direct actions, which you can set up like link to your Shopify account so that as soon as someone buys a book from your Shopify store, uh, Book Funnel is pinged by the SKU, and then it will send an email that delivers the link. So I have BookFunnel deliver links and I have email set up through my email service provider active campaign to deliver links to get things downloaded. And then BookFunnel also has this amazing customer support. So whenever your reader has an issue, then book they can just email BookFunnel directly 
Or sometimes readers will email me and I'll say, you know what, I have a friend over book funnel that will get you hooked up and I'll just loop book funnel in. And if you guys are on book funnel, then Jamie is always the customer service rep. So every time I email, I'm like, hey, Jamie, here's my reader. They need a little help. And then Jamie responds to everyone. It's actually several people, but they found out that readers really like like having the same name, like it feels familiar. So if you ever use BookFunnel and you use BookFunnel support, then just address them as Jamie. <laughs> and then they help like deal the problems. So you don't have to walk your reader through like how to upload, like sideload to their Kindle or this isn't working. They do all of that for you. So I think they take a really heavy burden of customer support away. And on the audiobooks, something that's really cool is once you, they have it set up so that when you've bought it, if you bought it from an email address that's the same on your BookFunnel account as Shopify, the audiobooks will just automatically load in your BookFunnel app. So you can buy it, wait like five minutes, pull open BookFunnel and the audiobook should be there. Yeah. And I've just been testing that. And yeah, the integration is is great. And you mentioned SKU. If people don't know, that's SKU. And you can just set it up whatever you want, right? So I just put your author business plan ebook. That was my SKU. You don't have to keep a list of numbers or anything. No. So all of my SKUs are just the like letters of my books. So I'm writing War of the Gods right now. It's W-O-T-G. And that's just the SKU for War of the Gods. So anytime someone purchases the War of the Gods ebook, that SKU goes to my email service provider and to BookFunnel. And then to keep it really easy, I do AB for audiobooks. So for my War of the Gods audiobook, the SKU is W-O-T-G-A-B. And then it's just really easy to remember. And it, it keeps it a system so that if you ever have people start to work for you, it's really easy for them to know what to expect for SKUs. And you can look at something and know right away what, what's going on with SKUs that are built around a system that way. Yeah, absolutely. And coming back to another high level, it is complicated in a way. I feel like Shopify is actually, as you you talked about at the beginning, about being an entrepreneur and a mindset shift. I mean, I've been using Payhip and it's super easy, but it doesn't have all this functionality. So what needs to be the attitude going in to Shopify? I think just an openness to change, right? And like, figuring things out. I think when it comes to direct sales and you're starting your Shopify store and you're trying to get all the details worked out, there's going to be moments where you're overwhelmed and you kind of want to give it up or things seem harder, seem really hard or whatever. I would just sort of step back, give yourself a break and come at it again fresh because direct sales is so new. Like I'm on like the pioneering edge with a bunch of other authors that are trying this out as a business model to make it work, but we're still learning, right? Like there's still a lot to do. And if you're starting the direct sales game or have been doing it for a long time like you, then I just think you need a lot more flexibility and patience because you have to figure it out. There's not always a set path. Like if you're going into Amazon, there's oftentimes just a set path that you follow and you just keep doing that. But when you enter the direct sales game, you might actually have to be making your own path. And that's really hard. So I would just kind of keep that in mind as you start your Shopify store and know that just because other people are doing it, you can do it differently and it might be more successful. Mm. And how many books do you think you need to bother doing it? Because there are obviously set up costs and time. And in order to make good money, you know, how many books do you think people should consider? Yeah. So let's bring a little math here for those that are listening. So assuming you have one book, it's $29 a month for Shopify. So Shopify doesn't pull like from your sales. It's just $29 a month to have an active Shopify store with the most basic theme. And then it's like a couple thousand. So you don't need that higher theme. 
So your bare minimum to start into direct sales is Shopify. Well, not Shopify. Like you said, you use Payhip. I've also used other places. I can't remember off the top of my head. But if you're going to start with Shopify, which is the most versatile, then I would say you need $29 a month for Shopify and then book funnel. And if you even only had one book, you could do the $20 a month book funnel. And that is so that's $49 a month. And if you even did $50 a month worth of sales on your website, then you would have made it back and anything over that would be a profit, right? So I think this is a great question because it kind of begs the idea of how many do I need before I can do this? But I don't like to put a number to this because frankly, you might kick it out of the park on your first book and you might be able to pull in like $300 on your direct sales store that people come over to you instead of Amazon. You might be launching your first book and you have a bunch of people that want to support you. Then you can have them go buy on your direct sales store where you get 94% royalties. You know, So I think if you're wanting to make an income that you feed your kids or your dogs or your spouse or yourself off of, then the more books, the better. But to get started, I would say don't wait. Like if you have one book, get your store started and get things set up and you can just start playing with it and figuring out what works and what doesn't work. There's also a setting on Shopify that you can, instead of paying the $29 a month, you can take the store off of live, but you don't have to cancel the store. They call it like the builder plan for $9 a month. So if you're wanting, let's say your your reader, your listeners are going to launch their first book in September and they want to try direct sales, but they don't want to pay for Shopify and BookFunnel like up until September, they could do a builder plan and just be building their store for $9 a month and then go full live with it in September to kind of save that money. So you have a lot of options. And I think those who have not ever done direct sales and are just starting to publish or only have a few books are in a unique position to train their readers from the beginning to buy from them, right? Like from the beginning, you're teaching people to land on your website and buy from them. And I think that's a really powerful spot to be. Mm, yes. I mean, as I said, I've done the digital for, for many years and it's definitely a mindset shift uh, because, of course, there's no bestseller list. <laughs> there's, you know, no, no one sees the sales, but of course, it's in your bank account. You mentioned 94% royalties there. And of course, that might vary by a few percent, depending on which payment method and some various fees. But so how have you felt that your business has benefited from this? Like, you don't need to give any numbers, of course, but sort financially better off? Yeah. So one of the things that frustrated me before I started the direct sales game and that helped pull me into direct sales is cash in hand. So when you're running a business and you're looking at Q1, Q2, Q3, Q4, you're trying to figure out profit and loss, like where money worked, where it didn't. When you're starting to really get into those numbers and look at that stuff, it's really hard when you have a 60 day delay right? So you'll do stuff on Amazon and you're like, yeah, it was a great month. I had a launch, but you're not going to know really for a while what those numbers actually look like. And it's two months later. And I was always really frustrated with that. Like I had something happen in my life and I needed some more cash in hand to like pay for a doctor's bill or something else, but I couldn't get it because my money was tied up for 60 days. So one really great benefit of direct sales is that within 48 hours, I have cash in hand. I can run a big sale and then the Shopify automatically deposits the money into your bank account like every 24 to 48 hours. You can actually see it like building on the side and then I'll go to my account and it'll show up there. So if your lifestyle is such that you need a little more control over cash in hand or whatever it is you're doing, that's a really nice benefit is to be able to actually look at, we did this, this was the result, 
I have cash in hand. The numbers are here. So I think that was a big benefit in my business from going to direct sales, being able to more directly track cash flow and profit and loss, that kind of stuff. The second one is just the control over what people are seeing when they land on my book page. I always got really frustrated on either BookBub or Amazon or Kobo or even Pinterest. When you're trying to get someone's attention on your book, there's so many other things pulling that attention, right? So Mm. it was really powerful for your company when someone lands on a landing page that only features you and it's clean and it's crisp. And through testing, you can figure out what draws people in so that they know they're in the right spot. That that changes your return on investment for any advertising exponentially. Anyone that's listening that runs traffic ads from Facebook to Amazon pages that also has a, like the links that kind of show what people buy after clicking on your link, like affiliate, it's so frustrating, right? Like I would send traffic to Amazon and people were buying like adult diapers and all this other stuff. <laughs> They're not, they weren't even buying my book. They were buying all these other things. And that was extremely frustrating to me. Like I'm not paying Facebook all this money for these people to go buy a different author's books. I want them to land on mine and know whether it's a fit or not. So that was another really uh, great change. And then numbers wise, it looks like I do 70% of revenue through direct sales and then 30% from all the other retailers. And depending on my model around direct sales, I can say that's super consistent. So even in, I started direct sales at the end of 2019 um, into 2020, and I'm still doing it today and I will forever. That That's a pretty consistent number, 70% direct, 30 from the others. That may kind of go up or down a little bit. Amazon is my second biggest seller and draft to digital and all of the retailers that's on is my third. And then the others kind of dwindle from there into numbers that aren't really even comprehensible. So that's kind of what it looks like for me. And I, I enjoy that because those numbers lend to a great deal more stability. If Amazon woke up one day and decided, uh, one of their bots decided that I violated their terms of service that I didn't even know existed, they could pull me down and 70% of my sales would still be unaffected. So that security is really powerful. And you mentioned Facebook ads there. I mean, I feel like a lot of people worry because, of course, if their book is on Amazon or Apple or Kobo or whatever, then there's some kind of built-in marketing. I mean, or you can pay for ads and there's like established marketing routes for these stores. So how are you uh, marketing and getting readers to your Shopify store? That's a golden question, right? And that's actually what I'm trying to figure out. So in 2020, 2021, I, I ran a lot of paid advertising, whether it was Pinterest, Facebook. I didn't really do BookBub. I tried Amazon for like five days and realized that that wasn't a good fit for me. So I, this year, decided to change my business model and I stopped all paid advertising. And the gaping question was, so how do I drive traffic, right? If I'm not doing paid advertising, how do I drive traffic? A lot of it comes down to like your basics, Right. The email list is king. I have a really healthy sized email list after all of that advertising. But I think the most important thing is I, I focus on my readers. And then through my readers, I come up with different ways to reach other readers. So it's a really actually collaborative approach now where I talk to my readers and I say, hey, where did you find me? Uh, where do you go when you're not here? And how can we get more people to find these books? Because we know that they need them. And right now that's driving it. So the strategies, the actual marketing strategies to drive people to my pages are kind of up in the air. Like right now for last, for Q1 and Q2, I've been throwing a lot of spaghetti at the wall to see what sticks, right? So whether it's author newsletters or book funnel promos or, or just talking to readers, like whatever it is, 
we're, we're trying a lot of different things to say, can this replace paid marketing and still keep my lights on? And a lot of it is just genuine, organic relationships with readers. Well, the, let's talk about the email marketing there, because this is what excites me. I have this vision <laughs> of being able to go away. So I'm walking this pilgrimage in uh, September. So I'm going to be away for three weeks. And I have not been able to, since I started my business, I have literally not been able to have more than a couple of days off. <laughs> Which sounds terrible, but you know, there's always emails, there's always something. And I know it's crazy, but I, and I have this vision of if I can set up a Shopify store and I have automated email sequences that kind of sell people into other products and things within the whole ecosystem. And obviously I need a help desk person, but is, is it possible to automate this whole business? So I wondered about your email automation and can you tag people who buy stuff and how are you managing all that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So email is king, right? That that still hasn't died. I think so much of my sales are driven from my email list and my established readers and then the gathering of new ones. So I have fantastic email automations that over time I've tested and tweaked and proved to the audience that I want, right? So what I have is I use Active Campaign. I love Active Campaign. I I've done a lot of others. I've done MailChimp, I've done Drip. Uh, I've done Active Campaign twice and I've been with them for a while now. A second time. And then I've looked into Clavio. I think they're all really great for different reasons. But for my intents, I like Active Campaign the best. And I've spoken extensively with Clavio and with my business goals and model, even the Clavio rep was like, yeah, you're probably best Active Campaign. So they have landing pages that you can use within Active Campaign. So what I've done is I've created two and it's my first book, the first book of like 30 or 40 that I want readers to land on. So I have one for ebook and one for audio. And they just have a link. And what I do is I have my readers share that link or I share that link or I have social media posts that I schedule that share that link that will then gather people. So if someone subscribes to get my ebook for free, they enter an automation that's like six emails in several weeks where I'm just nurturing a relationship with them. And we're talking about dragons and fantasy books and where I'm like checking in to see if they like the book. You know, there's like various things that I've tried in there and tested to get the best open rates and the best um, click rates and people actually reading. And so that takes up like three to four weeks. So honestly, Joe, you could schedule some social media posts, have some podcasts or other authors sharing the newsletters right before you start your pilgrimage. And you could come back and your email sequence could have nurtured that relationship with those people and sent money like to your Shopify store without you having to even touch it. Automation is like the name of this game. The more you can automate like with sincerity and genuineness, the more you can scale your business higher to see your profits and your ROI increase. Well, this is the thing. And I use ConvertKit. I did actually use ActiveCampaign a while back and I moved over to ConvertKit, which does have tagging as well. But it it feels like this is possible because you control the store. And I feel like the whole automation just doesn't work with all the other stores because there are so many variables and so many other things that they can do and so many different links. Whereas if you're just doing everything through your store, it just simplifies the automation, right? Absolutely. So you could have an automation where a new subscriber gets your book and then they buy the second book. And once that SKU goes to your email, like your email service provider with maybe like you have it set up so that they get a tag and they're sent into like another automation that then sells the third book in five days. And if they finish in that time and they want the third book, then they buy from there. All the while you're like on your pilgrimage, right? Mm. (laughs) So 
because you because you're able to tag and move people around based on the customer journey that you come to know really well through direct sales because you can see the data coming in you're able to really customize and say you know i've noticed that about day three is when people buy the second book so at day two you're going to send the link to buy it so that you're ahead of them and then they can get tagged a certain way and that tag can push them onto a different journey within your email service provider to optimize your sales but you don't have that feedback from Amazon or Kobo or anywhere else. Yes, and we should just reiterate this. You do not have your customer data on any other store, right? You only get your email and your, unless people sign up for your email list, but you don't know what they've bought. So this is literally the only way to have the customer data. Exactly, and that's kind of a sensitive subject that if you're going into direct sales, just be aware, this isn't data that you're using. I mean, you're not gonna go sell these names. It's just, when we say data, it means, you have a direct relationship with them through their email. You know what they're buying. And by knowing what they're buying, you kind of know what they like and you're able to send them more of what they like. That's really what that is. And that's the control over the business that I wanted to have so I could actually make decisions based on what people were doing on my website. Yes. And of course, with email list management and all this, we're abiding by GDPR and anti-spam and can spam and all the different things that we have to do. So yeah, we're being responsible, of course. Yes, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so let's just talk a bit about uh, technicality. So, so you have katiecrossbooks.com. And so I wanted to ask about that. Is that a Shopify theme? Yeah, so you can actually buy a domain through Shopify. So I have katiecrossbooks.com, but I log into Shopify to get to that website. So on Shopify, there's an area under settings that says domain. You can go, they are your host and it's $19 a year. That's it. You just pay it. it. It will automatically charge you again whenever you buy it a year later for 19 bucks and you can choose your domain based on what's available. So that's all Shopify. I don't have, that's not WordPress. That's not Wix. That's not anyone else. That's just Shopify. And it's the basic theme that was there when I started. I liked the layout. I liked it. So all of that is run by Shopify. Mm. And you also have katiecrossromance.com. Um, I just closed that. Oh, okay. Right. Uh, my readers were like, why do you have two websites? Well, and I had two websites because I used to run Facebook ads to both of them. So I needed separate pixels. But since I don't run Facebook ads anymore, I was like, that's a great question. And I found that a lot of my really hardcore readers wanted to read anything that I had. So they're like, why don't you just put on Katie Cross books? So I kind of asked around, I talked to a lot of people and they were like, yeah, I think it's really dumb you have two. <laughs> so I was like, oh, sweet. So just two days ago, I finished pulling everything from Katie Cross Romance over and I just closed it. So if you go to katiecrossromance.com, it's going to pop up with like a domain error, I think. Brilliant. Okay. Because this is my question. So obviously I've got Joanna Penn with my nonfiction and JF Penn with my fiction. And most people on this channel, on the Creative Pen, know I do fiction. So some people go through, but JF Penn is very, it's very focused on the fiction side. Now you don't do any nonfiction. So I wondered like, what are your thoughts on keeping those separate if you're trying to manage your brand separately because you need a whole new Shopify account don't you You can't do multiple things on one account yeah that's a great question so I think it comes down to your business goals and plans right so for you where you have a nonfiction that is really far apart from your fiction in your spot I would probably just want a separate domain that way you have the audiences separate I have two at least mine are similar in that they're all fiction so I just have all of my fiction on katiecrossbooks.com. 
It is two separate stores. I don't think the management was more difficult because what I did on one, I just mimicked on the other. And if like, it's just, you're still managing the same like SKUs. It's the same sort of theme and build out. It'll be a little more time if you're building two separate Shopify stores, but it's not going to be that much more than building on the same store. Cause no matter what, you're going to have to put the products on both stores. Right. And that sort of time would be the same, whether it's between two. So yeah, I, I guess it just depends on how separate you want to keep your audiences. So if you pulled your nonfiction into your fiction store, would that confuse people or would it just drive more traffic? I think that's a great question. Mm. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I, Yeah, I don't know yet what I'm going to do. As we talk at the beginning of June 2022, I'm still building it out. So <laughs> people can have a look if, they, if they're listening in a few months time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. It's a good question. Yeah. Okay. So just some other slightly technical things. So when you, you talked earlier, you mentioned the app store within Spotify and this is uh, Shopify. <laughs> oh, they sound so similar. But yeah, the app store is the thing that really, as you say, enables you to do so many things. So are there a few apps that you recommend people definitely get? I mean, obviously there are lots of different ones, but anything that you particularly like, yes, that definitely get that. Yeah. So I've tested a bunch of upsell apps and upsell apps are just apps that you can integrate to your Shopify store that help you sell more books. So whether that's at the, like when people go to purchase, a screen pops up and says, you want to add this for 10% off or whatever else that is. I've loved frequently bought together. And another one that other people that I know are doing direct sales have liked is Zipify. I didn't like Zipify as well. It was a little bit harder for me to figure out. And I really liked frequently bought together. With Frequently Bought Together, I just, you can create bundles because there's a lot of power in bundles. So every, and you can customize like every product. So I can have like Miss Mabel School for Girls is one of my flagship novels. Then Frequently Bought Together puts Alcara Awakening and The High Priest's Daughter, which are books two and three on that product page and says, you can buy all three for this price. And all they do is hit buy. And then all three of them go to their cart instead of just one. It's really easy to use really easy to customize. It's really straightforward. I've really liked Frequently Bought Together. Another one is Judge Me. It allows for product reviews and it has like stars and ratings. I've really liked Judge Me. It's really easy for my readers to use. It was, I like, I actually had a VA set that one up, but I've never had to like tweak anything after we got it initially set up. That one's been really good. It will also allow you to import reviews from other stores But that requires some knowledge of like web crawling to be able to extract the data from like Amazon or Barnes and Noble or wherever you're doing it. So my former VA, her husband is like this really big tech guy. So he just, he was really nice. He's like, well, I'll do the web crawling for you. And I was like, whoa, that's awesome. Thanks. So he crawled Amazon and was able to pull our reviews over because Judge Me allows that. I couldn't tell you how to do it. (laughs) That was great because it it, kind of was able to allow me to boost some of those reviews when we initially set it up. So judge me frequently about together. Those are my favorites. And then there should be apps that allow you to import and integrate like your email service provider or the social media sites. So I have, there's an app for active campaign that allows it to integrate seamlessly. There's one for Facebook and Pinterest. I really like the Facebook and Pinterest integrations are really nice because you can choose if you want to publish a new product to Facebook or Pinterest. So I have a launch coming up in July that has a secret novella that launches with it that people will only get the link to at the end of my novel. So it's really secret. I don't, it, like the title is kind of a spoiler. 
and it answers a bunch of questions and I don't want anyone to know exists. So I can turn it off so that that product doesn't go to Facebook or Pinterest. Um, or if that's on, as soon as I publish a new product, then Shopify sends that link to Facebook and Pinterest and puts it in my store and creates a post over it. Like just yesterday, I had a reader email me and say, is this real? Because I just saw this come across my newsfeed for a second time and I'm worried that someone's hacked your store. And it was a new pre-order that I'd put up. And she was like, she really wanted it to be real, but she didn't know. And I was like, oh, no, that's real. I just put that up. And she's like, oh, good. I bought it. So I've had it where... I'll put a new product out and then I'll nav- navigate back to my main store and it sold like five copies within 10 minutes and I hadn't even told anyone. And then it's just because it automatically goes to Facebook and people see it and just start buying. So that's really cool functionality. That is really cool because I do have a, a store on on my Facebook page, but it's really crap and I haven't updated it for years. So I think I'm just going to go through and delete everything. <laughs> yeah, well, and then it just integrates with Shopify. So I never have to do anything on Facebook with my store unless it like flags it as not publishable or something. Yeah, th- that is just fantastic. So coming back to the pre-order. So how do you do a pre-order on Shopify? Oh, it's so easy. So I just put a book, like I just put two audiobooks and two ebooks up two days ago. And all I have it set for is as soon as they buy it, then my email service provider puts a very specific tag on. And then they get an email that says, thank you so much for pre-ordering Lita. And like, you'll get it on its launch date, which is this day. And then I just send them into my email list. So then when the night before I launch a book, like tonight, I'm launching a book tomorrow, actually. So tonight I schedule all these emails and anyone with that pre-order tag, I then send an email, like the fulfillment email. I send an email that says, here's the, like you pre-ordered Lita, here's the link, click here to grab it. And it just takes them right to the book funnel download page. And I send three of those fulfillment emails because sometimes the email doesn't go through or whatever else. So I send three, like each one, like six hours after the other one, just to make sure they get that email. And that's all that there is to it. I honestly, I love pre-orders. I have a book I put up for pre-order like in March, no, in April. And I literally said, I don't know when this will launch, but I know people are really excited about it. And I'll let you know more when it happens, but you can go ahead and pre-order it. And I get sales from that all the time. Like, (laughs) Like I told them, I was like, I don't know, it'll probably be 2023. But people are so excited. They're buying it anyway. So I get that cash in hand in advance and it keeps me top of mind. And then that reader might forget me. But then come January or whenever I fulfill that, they get an email with a new book. They start reading, remember me again, and then they're back at it to activity. So pre-orders are a huge strategy that direct sales enables in a really big way. And what about pre-ordering print? Because I did see that there was a schedule button on one of the but maybe it was Lulu, maybe it was Book Vault. But do you do any print pre-orders? That must be on Book Vault because I don't have pre-orders for print um, capable that I'm aware of through Lulu. They may have that functionality. If they do, it's not super obvious. So I just release the paperback the night before. And then usually my readers just know if they want it in paperback, they can just order it on launch day. So I get a slew of paperback orders on launch day usually. No, that's fantastic. Now, taxes are something that everyone worries about. I have always used services like PayHip, for example, that deals with all the tax for me. So, uh, for example, the EU digital VAT, the VAT, um, is there's a zero threshold and it's different for every European country that the customer is in. So it's a complete nightmare. 
<laughs> so how does the tax side work? And I mean, obviously, it's different per jurisdiction, but any thoughts on that? Yeah, so taxes are, was, that was one of the things I worried about the most, but ended up just really not being that big of a deal. What I do for mine uh, is I just have like, sh- there's a button on your product where you can tell Shopify to charge tax on this product so that it will charge tax and take it from it. And then if you have to report sales tax in the, I'm in the US, then you can just pay that out later. What I work with my accountant on this and she helps me keep track of it. So every quarter I just send her like a certain report that I pull from Shopify for taxes and then I send it to her. And then she says, we've kind of hit the threshold in this state. We should pay or we should do this. Like you said, it really depends on where you are. It wasn't as big a deal as I expected it to be. For now, I just, from what I understand and what my accountant and I do, I pay sales tax in places where I have a physical business presence. So I live in Montana in the US and they actually don't charge sales tax here. So I don't have to charge sales tax. But when I lived in Colorado, they did charge sales tax. So I, I'd signed up with um, the Colorado, I had like a sales tax like um, account. And then every quarter we would just pull like how many sales that we'd had in Colorado. I had it set so that Shopify pulled sales tax from people that bought out of Colorado. And then I would just pay whatever sales tax I owed at the end of the quarter. And that was all fine. For a while, I had a business presence in Colorado, Idaho, and Montana. So I was doing the same in Idaho and Colorado. But now I just have a business presence in Montana. So I don't. So it's all a little nebulous. And I would say just talk to whoever, like you're like a professional is to kind of nail down what you should be doing. It's something that I visit at the end of every quarter and that my accountant and I do together and we pay sales tax where it's applicable. I, I don't think I've ever had to like really mess with the VAT tax or EU or any of that kind of stuff that I'm aware of. Hopefully I wasn't supposed to be this whole time, <laughs> but it, it just, when I have my accountant helping me out and then I have a tax accountant that I work with to do taxes, it's always washed out and been just fine. And my tax lady has always been like, yep, you paid the right amount. This looks good here. Yeah. I think the principle there is, look, yes, you have to deal with this stuff, but it's not that complicated and you only have to do it every quarter or whatever. Plus you can find an accountant to help you. I have an accountant and I've asked them and they're like, yes, we can help with that. So it is, it's a kind of the fear is greater than the practicality of it. And it's like, you know, put on your big girl pants and (laughs) just deal with it. I know. I think tax is where people fall into mindset traps faster. So if you're feeling afraid of what you're about to do or overwhelmed, I feel like a lot of authors that come to me are like, I just don't want to deal with the taxes. So I'm not doing this. And I just want to gently point out like, but you're missing out on so much else. If you could just do some research or talk to an accountant, you would figure out that this isn't that big a deal. So if anyone that's listening is sort of caught in a mindset spiral of that, I just don't want to read about that. It's too scary. Then I would just challenge you to look a little deeper and see if there's something else you're running away from here that you can figure out and then move forward into something really awesome. Yes. And that's exactly the point. And that's where, when I learned about Lulu and Book Vault, in fact, Book Vault was at London Book Fair. They've only just launched. So I walked through London Book Fair and I saw them and went to talk to them. And I was like, okay, this is possible. And now it's worth me dealing with the tax side. If I can do print as well, it's just, it is worth it for me. And that's the question at the end, isn't it? Is it worth it for you? What kind of business do you want? And are you willing to put in some work to kind of change your business model completely, really? Yeah. Yeah. And only you can answer that. Right. But Mm. I I think you should, you owe it to yourself to figure out like what you're afraid of and then tackle that first and then go into the direct sales game. Cause it'll be a lot easier. 
Yeah, for sure. Right. Well, we're almost out of time, but any other lessons learned or tips or thoughts before we finish? Yeah. So final thing that I like to tell people when they ask me about direct sales is I just tell them, be ready for the long game, right? So this this certainly can be a means to fast cash and like a lot of money, but more than likely it's going to involve time and patience and forging your own path. Because you have to train readers to buy from you. You have to show them that you're trustworthy. You have to prove that you're here to write more books and that you're going to write books and you're not going to make them wait for years on end to get the next book. So I think if you're here for the long game and you keep that mindset, then you're going to stick with it longer because you know that you're training people to buy from you. With more books comes more royalties and more power and more presence and all of that stuff. And that is the right mindset to approach this so that you're ready for the big opportunities and the big ideas when they come so that you can pivot and and do it really quickly. Fantastic. So where can people find you and your books online? katiecrossbooks.com is the fastest way to find me. And I'm sure um, it might be a good idea for a lot of you to just go there and look at look at the way I have it structured, look the way I have it ordered and see if you like it, right? See if that appeals to you, if that sort of a store is something that you would want to run and just check it out there. And you can see all of the other, we have merchandise, we have t-shirts, we have books and audiobooks and paperback, and there's lots there for you. Most of my novels are also on all of the other retailers too. Brilliant. Well, thanks so much for your time, Katie. That was great. Thanks for having me. This is so fun. So I hope you found the interview with Katie interesting. And as I mentioned, I'm currently building out my Shopify store and learning lots about the details. So I will do something more substantial on the technical side once it's ready. And it will be ready by the launch of How to Write a Novel, as I intend to do, as I mentioned, a month of direct sales before putting it on the stores. So I'm pretty excited about that. So this week I have an in-between episode, which I'm also excited to share with you. Andrew Main is a thriller writer whose books I've been reading for many years, and he also works at OpenAI, the company that released GPT-3, the AI tool that generates text. And I talked to Andrew about what AI writing tools can do right now and where they might be going. So that's a super interesting conversation. Then next week on the usual Monday show, it's back to craft and business as I talk to Claire McIntosh about writing twists, which her books really have, and also about book marketing as a traditionally published author. And uh, she is definitely one of the most savvy business writers, well, not business writers. She's a savvy writer with a lot of business knowledge. Uh, So yeah, really interesting conversations coming soon. So happy writing and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening today. I hope you found it helpful. You might also like the backlist episodes and show notes available at thecreativepen.com forward slash podcast. You can also get your free author blueprint at thecreativepen.com forward slash blueprint. If you'd like to connect, you can tweet me at The Creative Pen or find me on Facebook at The Creative Pen. See you next time.